This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. This is Andy here, filling in for Mike again. And this week on the show, Mike and Josh are talking with Val Jorgensen, founder and owner of Jorgensen Farms. Early on, they talk about Val's background and her family's history as farmers. You were a fifth generation farmer, right? That's correct. I even checked with my dad about that. He's 92 and still farming full-time himself. So I get the opportunity every now and then to check with him about the family history. I am the first generation to farm in the state of Ohio. All the previous generations of Jorgensen Farms have been in Michigan. And first of all, around the Detroit area as sharecroppers. And then at their current location in Ingham County, Michigan, which is between Ann Arbor and Lansing, they've been farming there for the last four generations. Later, they talk about some of the milestones and challenges Val has faced over the 20 years of running Jorgensen Farms. I cannot hardly believe it's been 20 years and there have been significant changes and twists and turns in that. I went through breast cancer a few years after I started my business, so things had to go to a very slow pace for a few years. And when I started picking back up again, I started creating some ideas on how I could share the farm with the community and expand it beyond what we were already doing. They closed the show with some great advice from Val. And if you've been listening to the show for a while now, you may notice that a lot of other founders and owners share her Feelings. Just go for it. If there's something that you want to do, go for it. Don't be afraid of failure. Give it your best shot and take care of the people around you. As always, we hope you enjoy this episode of Conquering Columbus. If you do, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you can hear more great stories of founders and leaders right here in Columbus. That's it for me. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, here. And as always, got Josh in the booth. What's going on, Josh? Not much, man. I got my power You're back. You're just back from... Where'd you, get, where'd you get back from? Traveling for a few days. I can't even remember. I've been traveling. So I think I was in New York City Me earlier too. this week, which I could do without that. I feel like between the <laughs> two of us, longer. we probably have covered at least around the world once or twice in the last few weeks. Yeah, it's been a lot. And then I come back and my power's out for yeah. uh, 14 hours, which isn't bad compared to some of the people across Columbus who have been out since like Tuesday afternoon. I don't even know how you survive in this heat. Next time you should Next time power goes out like that, text me. I could get you into the house through the code. You could have slept in a nice cold house. Nobody no. was using it. You know, dude, I didn't drop to that low of a level. So. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, no, power's been out. It's been rolling blackouts or whatever they call it. Crazy, man. Crazy. It's really hot. And what's the weight? It's probably going to be higher because 160. it's hot out, huh? Are we going back up We're going again? back up. Yeah, we got to fix oh, that. Oh, man. The travel has definitely gotten to me. Whenever you travel with folks from work, they always want to go out and eat and drink. And I have no discipline in those situations. So we really got to cut back on the travel. All right. We'll be rooting for you in the next episode. Though. That's right. That's right. Well, I think that's a good place to <laughs> pivot away from my weight, though, and introduce our guest on the show today. So joining us today is Val Jorgensen, and she is the founder and owner of Jorgensen Farms. Jorgensen Farms follows some of the most progressive and ecological farming practices, and they're also one of Central Ohio's most desirable wedding and event locales, caterers, and floral designers. Jorgensen Farms has been recognized with the Environmental Stewardship Award from the Ohio Sheep Improvement Association and the American Sheep Industry. And outreach and education have been a major focal point for Jorgensen Farms, which has hosted numerous events for chefs and farmers locally. We're excited to talk with Val about her story, the story of the farm, and a whole lot more. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Val. 
Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming in to join us here and taking the time to tell your story, talk about Jorgensen Farms. But I guess kind of one of the first places to start is, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? And you were a fifth generation farmer, right? That's correct. I even checked with my dad about that. He's 92 and still farming full-time himself. So I get the opportunity every now and then to check with him about the family history. Throughout all five generations, has it always been farming here in Ohio? Actually, I am the first generation to farm in the state of Ohio. Okay. All the previous generations of Jorgensen Farms have been in Michigan. First. Yikes. (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) And first of all, around the Detroit area as sharecroppers. And then at their current location in Ingham County, Michigan, which is between Ann Arbor and Lansing. They've been farming there for the last four generations. What brought you to Columbus then? Actually, it was a career move for my former husband, and we came down here to start his business. And we ended up with a 65-acre piece of property here in Northeast Franklin County as a place to raise the children because I grew up on property and I wanted the boys, four sons, to have a place to explore, get lost in the woods, and experience some of what I did as a young girl. Yeah, there's plenty of room to get lost on 65 acres. That is quite a piece of land. So when you go back and you think about growing up in Michigan and your time being involved with the farming elements there, what was that experience like for you? Was it something you said, hey, I always want to do this for the rest of my life? Or were you ready to get away from it? I was not ready to move off the farm. As a matter of fact, I loved it. And the lifestyle was very simple, a lot of hard work. And because we had dairy cows, that's 365 days a year. If it was Christmas morning, you go out and take care of the cows before you open up your gift or have breakfast. So a lot of hard work, but it was incredibly enjoyable. And we had to be creative in ways to entertain ourselves. But it was something that I would not probably have ever left had my dad not told me that he did not want me to marry one of the farmhands. And he was going to give me an all expense paid trip to Florida for my senior trip of high school, airfare included, This is the 1970s. Women could not go into farming on their own, and it really wasn't acceptable for young ladies to join the family farm. Now, you could marry into it, but he wanted me to go to college. How does the rest of the story unfold? You finish up high school, and where do you go from there? Finished high school when I was 17, went to Michigan State University, graduated in nursing, pursued a nursing career, raised four sons. After two of the boys graduated from high school, I had a little bit of time on my hands, and I just really, really enjoyed getting back into the gardens. And I can remember very specifically weeding the garden beds and thinking, I love this. I just love pulling weeds. I love growing food. And because we had the acreage to raise the sons on, I don't remember the exact thought process, but I remember thinking, I'm just going to start a farm there. And since I'm a nurse and I worked in pediatrics, I'm going to include education for children. And I named it the Community Agriculture Research and Ecology, which stands for CARE Center for preschool through second grade to come out for hands-on field trips and learn about beekeeping, sheep, ecological ways of farming, pulling carrots out of the ground. It was just spontaneous, I guess I'll have to say, more than anything. Was CARE in the same locale as Jorgensen Farms today? Is that what eventually became Jorgensen Farms or? Yes. I established Jorgensen Farms technically in October of 2021, but the opening of the market and the CARE Center, the Education Center for Children, was in August of 2002. So now we're celebrating exactly 20 years this August. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. 
Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. It's funny to me that you enjoyed pulling weeds. If you ask me the number one thing that I don't ever want to do again in my life, it's probably pulling weeds. And it's funny because I think it's probably like, if you think about things we enjoy in life, these like neuro associations we make with childhood and the nostalgia and going back to where your happiest places were. Is that where farming today brings you back to? There was a lot of gardening. We grew most of our food and we canned and froze food. And it was a family affair to be able to not only plant, use cow manure for fertilization, you know, right out of the pasture and harvesting and then helping my mom with all of the preparations for preserving it for the winter. So it does bring back a lot of really good memories. And that's also why I wanted to start the floral design business, because part of that was also growing flowers and enjoying the flower garden with my mom. Going back to care, what year is it that you start that? 2002. 2002. And then a lot of time, 20 years passed since then, and a lot of milestones along the way. Mm -hmm. As you look back on the time now, what are the major milestones that really stick out to you? Thank you for asking that because I myself cannot hardly believe it's been 20 years and there have been significant changes and twists and turns in that. And I went through breast cancer a few years after I started my business. So things had to go to a very slow pace for a few years. And when I started picking back up again, I started creating some ideas on how I could share the farm with the community and expand it beyond what we were already doing, which meant Sunday suppers on the farm. In a farm family, you have breakfast, dinner, and supper. Most people today have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but our biggest meal is typically in the middle of the day with supper in the evening. And taking that theme of supper in the evening, I started a series of monthly Sunday suppers in 2010, along with some fundraisers. There was Slow Foods in Columbus and some other community things. So we became known more for hosting events on the farm, the Sunday suppers. We'd have a guest chef in. We didn't have a kitchen specifically for that. I had not started the catering company yet, but we'd bring in a guest chef and sometimes then involve them cooking at an offsite kitchen and bring it in. Sometimes it would involve using our farm kitchen in our house. And we let people come in and experience the farm dinners that way. As things became known that we were hosting dinners on the farm, people started asking for weddings, birthday parties, and so forth. So it's kind of grown from there. In 2011, I wanted to expand the production of food year-round, which I wasn't set up for doing that. So I commuted to Michigan State University for the organic farming program that they have there, and it's a nine-month program. I would usually leave the farm on Monday morning at about 3.30 a.m. so I could get to campus by 8. You couldn't be a minute late. I told the director of the program that I had not clocked in for work since I quit my job as a nurse, but no excuses. I had a commute, and I would drive back on weekends and We established then year-round growing with hoop houses, and since then we've expanded with the germination house that has temperature-controlled soil and a lot of technology that makes this a good place to raise food year-round, sprouts included. So someone very ignorant on farming, like, can you explain to me more about what that expansion means? Were you just growing enough to 
feed the individuals on the farm. And then you said, okay, I'm going to expand to the point where now we can actually make it kind of a business from that point. Yes. We we're hosting enough events on the farm now that we are not capable of growing the food for all of the people that we're feeding on the farm. We do still have to purchase at this time of year. We can purchase from local farmers because there is an abundance of food, usually May through October with farms in Ohio. So we do still have to purchase some things wholesale in order to supply enough. And same with the floral design. Mm -hmm. The expansion for me was the reason that I wanted to go to Michigan State to learn more about year-round growing is because I feel like locally sourced food and locally grown food has the highest nutrition and it also supports our local economy and provides people a way to eat food that's fresher throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. Get my carrots from here in Columbus or I can get them from California. One of those is going to be fresher. It's not hard to figure out which one it's going to be. But I'm curious. So 2011, you kind of start the event space and that leads to today. Now you have five businesses, not just the farm, but the catering operation, the floral design, the wedding and event space. And I'm missing one here. What am I missing? Jorgensen Farms, the property owner, rents the space to Uh, the other businesses as the property owner. We've expanded as well as far as the acreage goes. In 2006, was able to buy 35 additional acres from the neighbors in order to keep that out of development. So it seems to me like you're the type of person that just when you see an opportunity, you jump on it. Is that fair? Fair. I guess what I'm curious about is what surprised you? Or what did you learn about the event space and like that whole process, right? There's got to be a lot of things that go on in that space that probably wouldn't think about if you're just kind of an observer. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. And I think jumping on it is exactly how I kind of approach life in general. I attribute a lot of that to the fact that as I was growing up, we were expected as kids on a farm. If the cows get out, it doesn't matter if I was 75 pounds and they were 17 or 1,900 pounds. A dairy Holstein cow weighs about a ton, 2,000 pounds. You go for it, you put your arms up, and you just do it because they need to get back in the pen. And so I think that attitude of just jumping on it and doing it and figuring out you got to test the limits and... It's okay to have failure, and I've had plenty of those. I think anybody who's survived a business for 20 years, probably myself, definitely, I have more failures than success stories. But in all, at the end of every day, I know I've given it my best. But it is my impression of what it would be like to host weddings on the farm. When people first asked if they could get married on the farm in the old barn that was the market, I thought it was going to be more difficult to manage people than it actually is. Pleasantly surprised that most people are just wanting to be able to create a space that is uniquely theirs and to celebrate their day. I had the vision that it would be more like the bar that I worked at as a college Mm -hmm. kid, you know. A lot of bridezillas running around. Well, a little bit more difficult to handle guys who had too much to drink or something. Mm -hmm. You know, I worked in a bar when I was in college on weekends, and I was envisioning maybe they'd be a little bit more difficult to manage, but actually it isn't. Behind the scenes, there's a lot of work. Most of the work is done behind the scenes. To make it look easy, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of detail. Okay, I have a random question now. You mentioned you grew up on a farm with dairy cows and have a lot of experience with cows. Cow tipping, real or fake? (laughs) Not sure. Not sure. Fair (laughs) enough. Fair enough. But that makes me think it's fake because you don't know about it. So. (laughs) 
Hey everybody, Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus, and we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies, it grows a highly adaptive workforce, and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. All these different opportunities that you keep kind of diving into because you're just seeing them organically, you're being asked for them and you're opening them up. And you mentioned, you know, they weren't all successful at first. You had some failures. Mm -hmm. Not to open like old wounds too much, but I do think from an outside perspective, you look at a farm like Jorgensen and you say, wow, so much success. And it feels like it comes easy from the outside because nobody Mm -hmm. sees that day to day and they don't see the 20 years that it took to create it. So as you reflect back on some of the more difficult times, were there points where in any line of the business you thought, wow, we might not make it here? And how did you overcome some of those challenges? Absolutely. Yes. The most recent one that I can recall is I had gone to Michigan State for the nine-month program to learn how to grow food year-round and set up five hoop houses with the help of the class from Michigan State and the professors there. Roll into 2012, I had a full year of production, highly labor-intensive, and hired help. We try to pay people a living wage and It's hard to make a living on that much labor-intensive work and be able to sell the product for the right amount. There's time involved with delivering to restaurants. We did a lot of wholesale delivery, Whole Foods. Roll around to finishing out the 2012 taxes, and my father, who I have a great respect for, and my tax accountant both said, you need to sell. Sell the farm as soon as possible because you're not making money, and we don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. They both told me that individually, and in both cases, I looked them in the eye and just nodded. I did not agree that I was going to do that, but I nodded, and I think they most likely had the impression that I was agreeing with them. But in my mind, it was like, I'm just going to have to figure this out, and I'm going to figure out a way to make it work. I will not give up on this. I didn't want to give up on it for two reasons, one of which is that having four sons, that's their home. That's where they grew up. I started the business in 2002, but we had been on the property for 10 years at that point. Mm -hmm. So this was the home that they grew up in and the land that they were familiar with. And none of them had a homestead of their own or a home or they weren't married. I wanted them to have a place to come back to that felt like home to them. And I was not going to give up on that. So I pursued and found ways to make things work, which is getting out there and showing people what we could do by hosting events on the farm. And by the grace of God, it worked out. I mean, that's a pretty compelling story in and of itself because your background is in nursing and your passion is in farming. And so the business side, you know, it's like you never had formal training from that. So how do you go out and just say, hey, I'm going to turn this around? And was it days or weeks or months or years for you to finally get back to where you needed to be? In that case, I make business decisions 
based on facts and figures for the most part, because math has probably always been my favorite subject. I don't have a business degree. Nursing school obviously didn't prepare me for operating a business of the sort or any business. So I love problem solving. And what I would do is do the facts and figures like if I do this, what's the potential outcome financially? If I do that, what's the potential outcome? I am also a calculated risk taker. I had an office manager that was a multitask position as a small beginning business owner. She did not like it when I made the decision to pull money out of my savings account or go for years without getting paid or take money out of my personal account to be able to pay bills. But I wanted what I wanted in the future. And I had my eyes set on keeping this property in farming. And again, a lot of things have to go the right way. Some of it's going to be luck, but it also has to be a focus on trying to make sound business decisions. I want to try to recap the journey so far as I'm hearing it and listening to this play out. So we start these different units because people are coming to the farm, they're asking for the wedding, and then we're coming in, we're making the food for the wedding, say, okay, let's sell the food externally. We're making the flowers for the weddings, let's sell the flowers externally. And so now all of a sudden we have this brand growing. We have a business that's thriving on the farm, but we're also starting to go externally with this business. And then we carry that all the way into 2022. And so where are we at today in terms of the size of the business? We are expanding the business right now. So we have two separate venue locations. One is on the Harlem Road address that I spoke about. In 2006, we were able to get that second piece of property adjoining the original 65-acre property, went to the bank, and I had been talking to the neighbors since a year after we moved into the farm. So that would have been in 1993. It took 23 years for the neighbors to decide to sell, but they wanted to sell at development prices. So they had two home developers that were interested in the property for apartments, which would have bordered us on the one exposed side. My son and I went on the Small Business Administration website, wrote a business plan over about a three-week period using the guidelines on the website, turned it into the Huntington Bank, creating for myself my own competitor then to open up a second venue. And that was a huge risk because I knew that to pay development prices for a field that would just be the access field to enter the farm from the other side, I would have to be able to not only pay for the purchase of the property, but also building a second venue from the ground up. That involved creating a venue space, an 8,000 square foot commercial kitchen, you know, the parking and all of the amenities that would go with it because we're on private sewer, private water, going through the state, the county health department and all of that. And we wanted to be able to protect that land from development because of what's happening around us to the point that we realized that it would be worth the risk involved with purchasing it and developing that second space, even if it was a risk of losing the original farm. And taking risks like that, you have to be deeply driven by a larger vision than just, you know, the next two or three days of the next year. With you and your family, what's really driven you to want to continue to build Jorgensen into what it is today? I think it's purpose over comfort. 
I think for myself, and I'm lucky enough to have one of my four sons who has this vision to carry it forward, is that comfort would have been saying, you know, the farm was purchased as a place to raise the children, look at the development prices now, and and we could have a very comfortable life. Or purpose, which is continuing to be able to enjoy watching people celebrate in a unique way. As you go back and we talk a little bit about the farming, the ecological farming aspect, I want to double down on that because we didn't talk much about it. It's a big part of who you guys are and what you're doing. What does it mean to be going through with ecological farming? It's very different than conventional farming because Roundup is typically used in conventional farming for killing down weeds. And is it still used in? Wasn't that like a big cancer thing that came out? About it is. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those big cancer things. Oh, it's still on the market. And it's used in conventional farming. Now, you're right. Consumers that are backyard gardeners are aware of all the scares and all the articles that came out. And I think consumers are more aware of it and probably use it less often in their backyard gardening. But it is very much a part of conventional farming. Seeds have been developed to be able to resist weed sprays. So genetically modified seeds are used that allow people to use excessive amounts of weed killer and still have a viable plant. Organic farming, sustainable farming, ecological, if you care about the soil and the long-term health of the soil, then our practices, we don't use any weed killer. It's all hand weeding or a barrier of some sort to keep the weeds from coming through the soil. Also, there's no synthetic insecticides available. So killing any type of insects that cause damage to either the plant itself or fruit. You can't use anything that's synthetic. You can use things that are plant-based. There are a lot of plant-based insecticides out there that are allowed in organic farming. We actually choose to not use those as well. Does your whole family eat off the farm or do you guys, will you go other places? Like how do you, how do you handle if you want to go somewhere else and go, I'm sure you're a lot more particular on what you will and will not consume. We're particular about what we consume, but we do eat on property. And, but majority of the meals are on the property. Most of what we eat at our home is stuff that we've grown ourselves. Or most recently, our chef has started uh, sourdough breads. Mm -hmm. uh, the sourdough was housed in our greenhouse. So it was a Jorgensen sourdough bread. We also have potato donuts that are amazing, mm -hmm. but the chickens are laying the eggs. We have our own pastured meat, which is chicken, turkey. We've had lamb in the past a lot as well. And the food that we're growing now, we're putting away the extra. We mostly eat what we grow. And if people are listening to this and they want to try some of that food, I think you guys have just recently started doing a Sunday market, right? From nine to noon on Sundays that people can come. How's that been going? That has gone really well. We decided this spring to just sell everything off the farm as we originally started to kind of go back to our roots with that and also be able to open up the farm to people who are there for the market because we have had so many weddings in the past. We've gotten away from as many people coming on the farm for the pleasure of just seeing the space and getting the food from the place it's grown. So this is the first year in a long time that we are not doing off-farm farmers markets on Sundays from nine to noon, rain or shine. We have a pop-up market in the front parking lot, and the intent is to expand that significantly each year moving forward. Another organic opportunity that you're yeah. continuing to pursue. What does a typical day look like for you? Are you up really early and going till late at night with all these things going on? Most of my day is 
spent from the time I get up, have my coffee, my two Labrador retrievers, Willie and Grace, spend a little bit of time with them. I have some quiet time to get my focus right and make sure that I start my day being the person that I want to be. And lots of meetings. Most of my work now is actually in meetings with managers, being strategic about planning and helping problem solve that anything that might come up. The people that we have, our community of employees that we have on the farm obviously are the most treasured part of our business. How many employees total now? We range between 90 and and 94. That's a good size organization. Do you ever, okay, pardon the pun, but I got to do it. Do you ever miss getting in the weeds? (laughs) I do. I do. For pleasure, I'll go out. I warned my son the other day, if you see me out here, I'm just pulling thistles. I love (laughs) pulling weeds. Just the whole thing of getting in the dirt. I've got a bunch of them at my house if you want to come by sometime. I'll help out. (laughs) Val, it's been great talking to you so far. And Josh, I think that's a good place to kind of pivot towards some of our last questions of the show. He's nodding, which means we're good to go. So first one, pretty simple one. You have any advice for our listeners out there? I would say to just go for it. If there's something that you want to do, go for it. Don't be afraid of failure. Give it your best shot and take care of the people around you. Really solid advice. And uh, Val, our last question of the show is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. Without telling you too much about why we chose that theme for a uh, podcast about entrepreneurs, business owners, and leaders around Columbus, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? I'm living every day uncomfortably and I love it. So there's a part of me, I guess, that will always love adventure. And this is a safe way to have adventure and it keeps me out of trouble. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And I don't think you can ever have an adventure without being a little uncomfortable. Well, Val, thanks so much for joining us and talking to us about Jorgensen Farms. It's been a great talking with you. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, Conquerors, if you want to learn more about Jorgensen Farms, you can visit www.jorgensen-farms.com. Perfect. And if you enjoyed that episode, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you are listening on. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.